The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the third chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Ituria and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A friend of mine recently shared with me a YouTube clip of a leading evangelical thought leader by the name of Dr. Al Moeller. In this clip, Dr. Moeller, who's a Southern Baptist seminary president and scholar and author and popular podcaster, He essentially declared the seeker-sensitive movement in the church to be dead. Given his pedigree and his knowledge of history uh, and his uh, being up-to-date on current events, I would say that he has the bona fides to write up such a death certificate and sign off on it for the sake of the kingdom. And this was all the way back in 2017. (laughs) That was a long time ago. Now, right? That was pre-woke Christianity, pre-COVID, pre-lockdowns, and with four fewer years of secularism to take hold. Well, if the seeker-sensitive movement was dead then, it certainly decomposed by now. But what did he mean by seeker-sensitive Christianity? Why is it dead? What bloodthirsty murderer killed it? And what does that have to do with John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness? Well, generally, when one thinks of the seeker-sensitive movement, we think of churches with maybe soft rock music, a relaxed atmosphere, and a welcoming environment, kind of your average megachurch, which has been imitated by many, many, many microchurches. Many dollars are spent to make it clear to those interested in hearing that, hey, this church is not like the boring, stodgy church of your parents and grandparents. We are cool and hip. We get you. We feel your pain. We're about community and solving everyday problems. And we promise we won't talk too much about doctrine if you promise not to ask too many questions. It is Christianity simplified, not necessarily a bad thing, but also often defanged. The name itself implies that they are trying to attract seekers, 
That is those curious sorts of people who are actually open to Christianity and its benefits. I guess there was a time when seekers would actually walk into church buildings to learn more about the Christian faith. Or maybe all they needed was a gentle nudge to learn more about Christianity. But that was in the 80s and the 90s, right? That was during this sweet spot of history where the church still had enough goodwill in the bank uh, and wasn't yet seen as useless or antiquated. The church has lost a lot of social capital since then. And perhaps in part to the desperate seeking we were doing in the first place. Here's a pro tip. People don't join organizations if they can sense that you're cleverly trying to attract them with one message only to later spring the full truth on them later. So if this movement is dead, why did it die? Well, why do we no longer wear bell-bottoms or have pet rocks or skate using rollerblades? Well, because it was something of a fad. It was not a serious movement for serious times. Easy come, easy go. As it turns out, the culture at large was and is in a hardening posture towards the gospel. They're not growing more receptive to it, but less. The gospel's not becoming more familiar but more foreign. The problem that Jesus solves, you know, like sin and salvation, everlasting life, you know, stuff like that, that's not really seen as a problem anymore. And familiarity with basic Bible stories, things we sort of take for granted, you know, like creation, fall, flood, Moses, Abraham, all that sort of thing, King David, resurrection, that frankly is disappearing. Even when I meet many people who have church backgrounds, they often have been taught really weird versions of Christianity, false teachings in many cases that make Christianity look silly or insane or greedy or superstitious. Well, who killed the seeker-sensitive movement? Well, no one person, of course. It died of natural causes. It was a victim of our short memories. You see, we keep forgetting that to be a follower of Jesus Christ should be more unconventional than conventional, more unpopular than popular, more fringe than mainstream, more wilderness than life in the fast lane. I mean, does the Bible really speak about believers, about followers and disciples of Jesus Christ, about the elect people of God in such casual terms as seekers? Is seeker-sensitive biblical language? I kind of thought I heard John the Baptist saying something like, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and kind of remember the apostles talking about repent and believe, right? The Bible does speak about seeking. This is true. And so someone might say, aha, 
but Pastor McClanahan, the Bible in Matthew 6 says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. See, aha, there's seeker language right there in the Bible. But does that sound like casual seeking to you? I mean, really? Like we would look for a, a, a new pair of socks or a friend when we're playing hide and seek, or even someone you'd like to marry. No, if we are to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, that's pretty serious seeking. That's not casual shopping. That is lay down your life type of language. Dr. Moeller puts it this way. He says all this in two minutes, what's taken me many more to say. He says the church used to be able to offer you something, right? Some social capital, some benefit to your life, some motivational teaching, a reputational bonus. It used to have something to sell you, but now it could cost you. There's more risk to being a Christian these days. To be associated with a church might cost you your job or a promotion. Or friends, don't worry, I will always be your friend. In Finland, for example, a Lutheran pastor will soon be put on trial for hate speech. What speech of his was hateful? In 2004, seven years before Finland changed its hate speech laws, he wrote a little booklet that defined the traditional view of marriage in a Christian context. He quoted the Bible, and now he is on trial. By their own admission and by their own standard, the Finnish government must consider the Bible itself to be hate speech. Now, I don't know how far behind Finland we are, but one hopes that these sorts of stories will demonstrate that, you know, we've gone far enough in pursuing non-Christian ideas, and now it's time to reject that. So this story of, of John, you know, being this voice out there in the wilderness, it's, it's pretty timely. It's a good reminder, isn't it? It's a reminder that to actually proclaim Christ always has been, or at least always should have been, a wilderness message. Whenever the Christian message was not a wilderness message, but actually the mainstream message, the message always went sideways. We were silent when we should have spoken. We were afraid to rock the boat. Or we just assumed that everybody agreed with us and we stopped making our case and pressing our points. We were and we are still guilty of being cowards, afraid of being that isolated voice in the wilderness that proclaims the lordship of Christ in all areas of life. We still want Christianity to be the norm, but we aren't called to be the norm. We never were. We are called to be a voice in the wilderness and even if we get to enjoy normalcy for a bit, be on guard. Because the forces of darkness, they are working to undercut it at every turn. In fact, by the time you notice it, they will have already been doing so for decades. 
So here's the good news. If and when you find yourself feeling alone in the wilderness with a message that seems increasingly strange, do not be afraid. That is our call. That is where we are supposed to be. Because to follow Christ is to pursue a life of holiness and virtue and selflessness that does not benefit those people who want us to be dumb, consumeristic, envious, drunk lemmings who do nothing but follow our nose. In fact, it's a pretty good sign if we find ourselves in the wilderness because it may just mean that we're doing something right. It means we're following Jesus. And following Jesus is not a burden. It's a joy. As the young people say today, if you know, then you know. Those who follow Jesus, they know what I'm saying to be true, even if it sounds strange to those who do not. It's not confining to follow Jesus. It's not confining to be alone in the wilderness. It's freeing. It's not isolating for those who are also following Jesus. They'll join you on your journey. You'll be with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And to know Christ is to be known by Christ. Only Christians can claim that the God of the universe is not some abstract mystery to us, but actually he is our friend. He is our advocate. He is our savior. So don't be afraid to be a little different, to reject groupthink, the groupthink that so often defines our time. For if we are willing to be out there in the wilderness, Jesus will always be there with us, never forsaking us, giving us the strength to carry on. Amen.